Welcome to Wise and Nice, a true crime podcast with your hosts Danny Armstrong and Kelly Lee. Please remember that we mean no disrespect to anyone mentioned in this episode or across any of the Wise and Nice platforms. We have an interest in true crime and related topics, and whilst we may offer our own personal views on certain items, it is meant to be educational and as light-hearted as possible. The information we present is collated from research gathered from the internet, and we reference and credit our sources wherever possible. If you've liked what you've heard and want to join in with us, follow us on our socials, Instagram, Wives and Knives the Pod, Twitter, at Knives Wives, and Facebook, Wives and Knives Pod. We also have a little website where we post photographs and other information about the cases that we research. And this is wivesandknives.wixsite.com forward slash my site. Happy New Year. Welcome to the first episode of Wives and Knives of 2020. 2020? Oh, 2020, <laughs> sorry. Um, We're going back in time. I hope you're all well and I hope you had a really pleasant New Year. Kelly, how was your New Year? Yeah, it was lovely. Um, really nice. Shockingly, I managed to stay up past midnight this year. So, <gasps> I know. I feel like I'm still suffering for it now. <laughs> I'll never get that sleep back. No. Um, mine was quiet, but I'm not a huge... Like, I'm not like, oh my God, New Year's Eve shit. It isn't shit, it's fine. Depends what you do with it. But um, I didn't want to go out because it's expensive and cold and full of people out there. And I was like, oh, yeah. um, But I did some, some tidying around my house. Um, I did stay up till midnight. I watched some fireworks and then I went to bed about quarter past 20 past mm-hmm. which is absolutely fine um, by my standards had a lovely day on New Year's Day I went to RHS Bridgewater um, which is near Manchester a lovely Royal Horticultural Society um, property mm. absolutely beautiful looked around really nice gift shop really nice cafe lovely brilliant um, and then yesterday I was in a car crash <laughs> And it was horrible. I'm not laughing that you were in a car crash. And I need to deal with that after recording today because yeah, it's it's not the kind of car crash that you can't deal with. It was very bad. I'm fine. Mildly achy. I feel like we need to um, take a picture of the tape that you've used to... God, I've had to tape my car together, basically. I'll take a picture when I go out after. Oh, uh, yeah. I've had to tape my car together and tape him... I had like a tarpaulin over the hole in the back of my car. It was very scary and it happened a very long way from my house in the dark and the rain. Um, yeah, but you know. But it wasn't your fault and you're okay. It wasn't my fault. The people that crashed into me were as nice as somebody can that crashed into you. They were lovely. They weren't um, trying to push any of the blame on me. They were completely apologetic and they were very much grown-ups that took control of the situation which was what I needed because I was just (laughs) shaking Um, but yeah you know these things happen Um, it was really shitty and it is really shitty but it could have been a hell of a lot worse and you know you are okay yeah I'm fine and cars can be fixed yes so yeah that's um, been a dramatic start to the year for me I just went on a really nice little walk on New Year's Day Mm. but I was quite sad when I woke up on New Year's Day because we've lost Betty White yeah I'm sad about that 
it nearly made it to 100 so you do so betty white i don't know who she is she like her career spans um, like over eight decades she's died yeah like amazing like i think she was called like i think in, they labeled her the first woman of television basically well she looks like an absolutely cracking lady oh. and i've seen some beautiful pictures of I her and things say, like that yeah. over the years but unfortunately i wasn't aware of just her a great her a great supporter of um like animal rights oh. and i know like back in the day she had her own show and she um allowed um not allowed but like yeah basically she was in control of the show and people complained because she gave um i don't remember the gentleman's name but um a person of color she let him like have a lot longer on her show and people complained about it and she was just like just get over it it's my show oh wow that's like she was quite it's sad that i'm that impressed by that to be honest but for the time yeah and she was a woman like i have a lot of respect for her and right up until when she passed like you know massive um supporter of animal rights just a cracking woman i just really liked her and i feel like not a fucking good omen that for the new year if Angela Lansbury dies this year, I'm, I'm just gonna go and sleep in a tent on a mountain somewhere. I nearly thought I'd be sleeping by the road last night. <laughs> well, new year, new listeners, new followers also. So welcome. Yeah. And thank you for supporting us. It's it means nice a lot. that people have had the time to fit in um, our miserable podcast during <laughs> the festive season. <laughs> well, it's not a chipper, is it? No, I feel like, yeah, we try and aim for a good balance, but, yeah, I, I'm appreciative. Definitely. Although I listened to um, all four episodes of All Killer No Filler. The craze. Yeah, I've over. Oh, really enjoyed it. Oh Obviously, more filler than killer, but it was such a laugh and very interesting, and I listened to that, like... Um, when I was getting ready on Christmas Day oh. and then another episode like when I'd got in and then Boxing Day morning so it was lovely <laughs> so um, I do good. understand people choosing these uh, yeah. podcasts during this time absolutely so well speaking of should we crack on with the, this week's episode yeah. what have you got for us so this is a case that I knew about anyway um, because I remember it happening mm. really vividly I remember all the imagery um, but I came across it again when I was looking for crimes that happened around Christmas however um, I didn't want to do it for a Christmas special or anything like that deserves full attention It's a good yeah place. not that the others don't but it's tinged with like extra sadness I feel and I just wanted to to leave it a bit separate but it did happen around Christmas so it's a hugely horrific case um, not just because of the nature of the crime because it was a murder of a young woman called Joanna Yates but because of the events that followed the investigation Um, because this was almost a huge miscarriage of justice Mm. and it's definitely an example of trial by media and if you don't already like know what I'm talking about Joanna Yates was the victim but maybe if I say Christopher Jeffries you'd remember it more 
because he became the face associated with this crime, which is awful for Joanna and her family that someone else is being remembered Mm. associated with what happened to her, but also awful for Christopher Jeffries himself. Definitely. And that'll make more sense as I continue. Although I do think most people do know about this. My mum does. Oh, good. Me, me and my mum, Jackie. If she, I was just going to say, hi, Jackie. Hi, Jackie. Um, she's proper into this case. Like, she remembers it and we had a good chat about it on Boxing Day. <laughs> so, Joanna was born on the 19th of April, 1985, in Hampshire, England. She had a happy upbringing, um, kind of like middle-class family life, um, quite well-to-do, like she didn't want for anything, basically, um, but was a lovely girl, really popular and did really well academically. Um, she got a degree and then furthered that, I think, to a master's level. She was very well-educated, very good at what she did, and she secured a job that she'd always wanted as a landscape architect. And in 2008, she met Greg. Greg was also an architect and they fell in love and moved in together in 2009 and relocated to Bristol. And she had a really happy life there. She was enjoying herself. But it was her boyfriend, Greg, whom on Sunday the 19th of December reported Joanna missing. So Greg had been away all weekend and he'd struggled to get hold of Joanna, but wasn't hugely concerned. But he came home and expected that she'd be in the flat and started to get worried when she wasn't there. However, he did find all her personal belongings there, like a phone and a purse and stuff like that. And I think that's such a sign. Like if you came home, realized that your like other's phone was in the house, but they weren't, you'd instantly be like, <gasps> because everyone's attached to the phone and this wasn't that long ago so it's yeah it was concerning and it was totally out of character for Jo Um, she was quite a reliable sort and it wasn't okay so he phoned her parents because she was really close to her parents and if anyone else is going to know where she was it would be them but they don't have any idea either but they are alarmed by this and they think it's out of character as well so they come straight over to Bristol to help look for her. In the meantime, um, Greg decides to contact the landlord, Christopher Jeffries, to ask if he'd seen her as well, like, in the building. And he hadn't, and Greg contacted the police. So really sort of... Yeah. Clicked my fingers there. Um, <laughs> quick moving. And with, like, asking round, it became apparent that Joanna hadn't been seen or heard from at all since leaving a works Christmas drink and that was drink drinks and that was on the 17th of December so the Friday before the Sunday and the police were really quick to find CCTV of Joe that evening so she'd been drinking at the Ram pub which is near Bristol city centre and then had walked back to her home in Clifton and at 10 past 8 she'd called into Waitrose but hadn't bought anything and then she'd called into a Tesco much closer to her flat and she'd bought a pizza and they can trace all this on CCTV which means she would have arrived home about 8.45 and whilst looking for Joe around the flat um, her mum finds 
a receipt for the pizza but couldn't find the pizza or pizza box Mm. so oh did you not know that I didn't know that oh this is a little like one of those details that I I thought I like the little details is it needed to be added in but I'll come back to it later on basically because they find the receipt they're like oh she came home Mm. but it's weird that there's no pizza there's no pizza no pizza box nothing in the rubbish or anything so like where within coming home and leaving the receipt but not the pizza did something go wrong it kind of narrows down the time frame a little or at least um, gives you something to speculate about so by Monday the 20th of December um, the police are fully on board for the search for Joanna it's there's up to this point the police have done everything fantastically um, so just to explain the flat that she lived in was essentially a really big house it's like um a Victorian terrace almost but really posh lovely one and this big house has been split into three flats and Christopher Jeffries the landlord and a retired teacher occupied one of the flats within this big house um herself and Greg obviously occupied one and then the final unit was occupied by Vincent Tabak um, a 32 year old who lived there with his girlfriend Tanya the police of course wanted to question everybody and they started with Christopher Jeffries so he admitted quite quickly that he had a key to Joanna's house but I figure that's pretty normal considering he was the landlord as well yeah I think that's normal yeah Um, And he had no real alibi for Friday night, saying that he'd been reading in his flat alone. So he said what he was doing, but there was no one to verify it or anything like that. And Vincent Tabak initially seemed a bit confused, as if he didn't know that someone had disappeared from his flat, um, when there'd been a lot of police presence. And he said that on the evening in question, he'd been waiting to collect his girlfriend who'd been out for the evening with some friends. He'd also been to a supermarket and he'd sent his girlfriend regular text messages saying that he missed her and things like that. So a bit of sort of detail of what he was doing that night. So Vincent was originally from Holland and had grown up in a traditional conservative community. And he moved to the UK for work where he worked as a people flow expert. Um, which I think sounds like a really interesting job. Like the psychology of like where people gravitate to, it must be used in like supermarkets and stuff to place where you put the special offers. Like I assume it's something like that. I, I didn't sort of investigate what a people flow expert does, but I think it sounds interesting. In Holland, he was known as being really clever, really quite a shy, introverted boy, but... Um, like a high achiever as well. Like he was quite well thought of in his community. Whilst those in the UK thought of him as a bit more outgoing, it seemed that while he was shy over there, maybe he was a bit more confident in the UK or like blossomed, you might say. (laughs) Joanna's dad actually um, bumped into Vincent. Joanna's dad's called David, by the way. Um, When he was looking for Joe in the early stages, and he noticed that Vincent seemed somewhat disinterested, but Tanya, his girlfriend, was really eager to help. And it just stuck in David's head. Like, it wasn't something huge, but, you know, he might have thought yeah, that Vincent get... was a bit rude. Yeah. However, it does come to light later on that 
Vincent was, of course, very interested and had been telling everybody that he works with and he knew socially that he lived in the flat of the missing girl and um, almost wanting sympathy for it saying that like oh it's so so stressful living in that flat with all the police and everything that's going on and he also um, spoke a lot about it to female colleagues saying like oh I should walk you home because there's definitely bad people about and things so he was very interested so um, it becomes Tuesday the 21st of December and there was a press conference arranged where David, Joanna's dad, and Teresa, Joanna's mum, appealed directly to Joe asking for her to come home. So it isn't um, like a murder investigation at this point. It's like, Joe, yeah. please come home. We miss you. It's really sad. Um, and I remember that and seeing them on telly. I remember all this investigation. Yeah. I think there was a heightened sense of... Um, sort of public interest and sorrow and like getting Joe home for Christmas yeah I remember a lot of stuff in the newspapers about find Joe before Christmas and um yeah it was so it was 12 years ago that this happened but um it definitely I don't know if it's um another case of like uh she was a um white woman I was just thinking pretty blonde pretty blonde, pretty blonde white, white woman, woman so yeah. the press took a particular interest which yeah. isn't a bad like the press should always take interest in missing people it shouldn't be down to the colour of their skin or how attractive they are or anything but she definitely got a lot of public awareness mm. at this point so um, I have said like it's good that the press were taking this interest but this is when it's about to turn nasty because the press take a huge interest in Christopher Jeffries the landlord and they decided with no real evidence to go on that he was strange because he lived alone which there's nothing wrong with, um, because things they kept bringing up, stuff like, he doesn't have a TV. Jesus Christ. I don't think that's the mark of a sexual predator. No, but odd. It isn't odd. I swear it isn't odd. I have friends that don't have tellies. I don't find it massively odd, but I think the general public... Okay. In, uh, ...who reads certain... Newspapers. newspapers that would be like how does how a person read yeah because they were instead like instead of watching he was the in his house alone reading yeah um, as if that's like a oh that's convenient kind of thing yeah i just find it really weird that like that was the sort of kickoff for all of this and they really laid into it yeah um they put pictures of him on the front pages and if you like google as you can see some of the headlines they had they were really horrific and i do speak about that um again in a little while so whilst the hunt for joe is going on there's also this sort of witch hunt against christopher jeffries that he must know something because he had a key and was close to her and would have seen her near the time and he had sort of an opportunity so um, they're sort of the the narratives of the newspaper and this sadly leads us to Christmas Day 2010 when two dog walkers find the body of Joanna Yates 
She was found covered in snow by the side of a woodland just three miles from Clifton. And there's something extra sad about it being Christmas Day. Yeah, definitely. But her parents actually speak of this and say that they were somewhat relieved to have an answer and um, like know sort of what happened to her. And yeah. she, um, I think it's on one of the documentaries that I watched via YouTube. There's a lot of this on YouTube. There's also a great documentary on Channel 5 called Body in the Snow. Um, it's really good. Mm-hmm. But um, the parents actually said on one of those two documentaries that it was a relief to find out how she died and, like, she wasn't... Essentially, she wasn't raped. Yeah. Um, and it's sad that that's a relief, but I yeah, do kind no, of... Yeah, I, I understand what they're getting at. Understand. Um, so it is quickly confirmed that it is Joanna. It's not... Um, a huge question but obviously she'd been there on in the outdoors in the snow terrible weather it really was i'm not um glamorizing christmas in the uk by saying there was snow here it was a really snowy very very bad weather and obviously she'd been there for a long time so the quality of evidence was somewhat compromised on the 28th of December, the police publicly um, reveal how Joanna died, and it was actually strangulation. And there's now a murder investigation going on. She was actually found without any shoes, and um, her feet were really clean. And it leads the investigation team to think that she was most likely killed in her own flat. And that she was, like, placed... Mm-hmm. at the site she also had like him um, bruising that would indicate this and they managed to extract dna which was a mixture of hers and an unknown from her and where the dna was um obviously confirmed strangulation but also that she'd been carried mm-hmm. which i found quite interesting they didn't go into this particularly deeply i didn't find um any other sources that mentioned it there was a lot about it in newspapers but ones that I don't particularly yeah. take much credence from um, but the way the DNA was found was if she was carried almost like how you'd carry a child so as I said the newspapers were intent on blaming Christopher Jeffries and rightly or wrongly definitely wrongly the police start thinking this as well so they start to heavily question Christopher Jeffries and lean into the narrative that he could have been the one to kill Joe. Obviously, he did have a flimsy alibi, which the, there's no doubt in that he was on his own that night and he had keys to her flat. He was actually approached by the media um, when leaving his flat and this clip is all over um, YouTube and stuff like that and he does come off as quite abrupt and he's just like no comment no comment but you would like what are you gonna say and but his refusal was taken as if he was almost admitting guilt it was that blown out of proportion and there were slight variations that occurred when he recalled the evening and these were jumped upon but just for example if I was told to retell 
the car crash that I was in, if I haven't mentioned it, um, <laughs> yesterday. And then I was told to retell it again and then tell it the day after. I'm sure there would be slight variations yeah, in that. Yeah, I agree with that. It seems somewhat natural, but basically they were trying to make the evidence fit. Mm. So on the 30th of December, Christopher Jeffries is actually arrested and held for questioning. I am forever shocked that they managed to get this arrest because to me it doesn't seem like they have much evidence, but who am I? So Christopher Jeffries is arrested and this is when detectives receive a call, a phone call from Vincent Tabak. Just a side note, Vincent is no longer in the UK. He had actually spent Christmas with his girlfriend's family and then himself and his girlfriend had travelled to Holland to spend New Year's with his family. So he wasn't even in the country. But Vincent had seen that Christopher had been arrested and this triggered something in his head and he decided to phone the police. Vincent says that he remembers seeing Christopher Jeffrey's car parked on the drive facing one way on the Friday evening but in on the on the on the Saturday morning it was facing the other way insinuating that Christopher Jeffries may have left his flat with his car during the night so obviously this makes it more suspicious because he said he didn't leave his flat and Vincent's saying he did so yeah Christopher denies it but Vincent's accusations are like further fuel to the fire and this is a ridiculous point but I need to mention it Christopher Jeffries looked at the time a little eccentric nothing particularly alarming I don't think but the press were choosing photos of him where he looked I'm gonna say odd which is a really shitty word um, I think eccentric is a good a, a good description. He yeah. looks like a bit like the mad professor type. Yeah. I was going to say he looks like the man from the Weto's box. To- yes. Yeah. Um, or like Albert Einstein. Yeah, even. he's a bit... He's got like the um, sort of wild grey hair and like, come on, how many people photograph well? Some of the photos he looks a bit like blank faced or like a little smile and they're using that next to these headlines that are awful they plastered his face all over the front page with accusations of him being a peeping tom a sexual deviant the um brought a lot of like um speculation over him being a teacher yeah and a male teacher and um his sexuality they questioned and brought up and i have no idea what his sexuality is but there's no need for the police to bring not the police oh god sorry there's no need for the papers to bring it in and use it as something to insinuate that he had something to do it's it's not relevant oh it's so horrible Um, they say that he was obsessed with Joanna and there's in fact no evidence for these allegations at all but luckily Christopher Jeffries had good friends and they were well connected to a like a a very good level and his friends reached out to him and organised a solicitor so on the um, documentary that I found on YouTube his friend actually speaks on it and he said that he saw all these accusations about his good friend Christopher and he just knew they weren't true. He knew it was it was crap and it wasn't the man that he knew. But he also understood how on his own he wasn't going to be able to fight these 
and yeah his friends seemed solid very well connected and got him really good um, a good team around him basically because it wasn't just this guy like everybody who knew Christopher was appalled by the allegations and nobody believed them for a second it wasn't like him oh I didn't know that about him or like there was nothing they were like because there was nothing to find yes this is crap but the police continued their investigations which included looking around Christopher Jeffrey's flat and not just looking around like tearing it apart while searching they found a pair of trainers they say hidden they were under a sink as a man who maybe doesn't wear trainers very often maybe only uses them in particularly bad weather or when it's muddy or for exercise maybe to keep them in your kitchen sort of tucked away if you've got them it's not that weird um, it isn't this weird at all really but um, we find these trainers and there is a spot on them that looks like it could be blood so they send them off for forensic testing and of course Christopher has given a sample of his own DNA completely willingly and this is sent to the lab as well um, along with the mixed DNA sample that was found on Joanna and it's obvious that the police were hoping that that mixed DNA would be a match to Christopher's once they'd extracted Joanna's. However, it wasn't. The DNA found on Joanna Yates was not a match to Christopher Jeffries. And the sample of blood found on the trainer, which was like, as soon as they found that, it was all over the papers, like Joanna's blood. It wasn't, um, it was such a small microscopic amount of blood, it couldn't be tested. Um, so they've no idea who it is most likely it is yeah but, um, I was just thinking that yeah it couldn't be tested for anything so it wasn't a a huge amount um, his car was also searched there was nothing in there like they really looked every sort of route they could and he was interrogated for days but there was nothing so he was released without charge and I want to impress upon everybody how vile the press were when speaking about him it could have been really different and his friends talk about how hunted Christopher felt by the the media at the time but now he's sort of ruled out the police decide that they want to question Vincent again especially because he was so eager to come forward that put Christopher Jeffries in the frame so now that becomes suspicious and officers actually go over to Holland to interview him and they notice that his behaviour is kind of off. He's asking a lot of questions about the forensics, but he's also a bit short with them. Like he's not, you wouldn't expect him to be comfortable in the situation, but he's so far from comfortable. And the officers ask for a sample of his DNA and he does not want to give it. He's, he's saying like, why? And, you know, mm-hmm they do get this DNA but it's very reluctant and this reluctance makes the officers like even more um, interested in him and they'll they fast track this DNA through they also notice loads of inconsistencies in Vincent's version of events for that evening um, but huge inconsistencies not the little ones that they were jumping on with Christopher these are like big fuck off holes um, and He's actually arrested on suspicion of murder on the 20th of January when they get the results back that his DNA is a match for the DNA found on Joanna's body. 
obviously this makes him number one suspect and you think it would be like a an open shut case that's the term I was looking for but because of where Joanna had been and the amount of time that had elapsed in the bad weather conditions the sample of DNA obtained was only a really low grade sample which could be argued out of Um, Vincent started saying like oh well I had been in her flat like once or twice do you know like that kind of thing trying to um, sort of put doubt in people's minds and it wasn't damning evidence on its own now the media in Holland are really interested in this as well now because it's like one of one of their own and they are publicising the case jump into Vincent's defence and they are going one of two ways they're either still blaming Christopher Jeffries or they're highlighting the police got it wrong with Christopher Jeffries so they could have got it wrong with Vincent as well there's a very sort of two pronged attack that <laughs> contradicts each other but um, they point out the texts that are sent from Vincent on the night to his girlfriend and these are all like miss you so much and things like that and they're stating that well he was busy sending these text messages so he couldn't have been doing anything else they also obtain a CCTV clip that of course the police have access to as well of Vincent in an Asda supermarket and this isn't um, super close to his house like it's all a little bit out he goes in and buys rock salt um, just added but um when he comes in he like proper looks at the cctv camera like he's looking for it like Mm. he's like come on get me on cctv to show him somewhere else and as a people flow expert i think you know (laughs) things about this and so yeah he is captured in cctv but of course this only accounts for a very short period of time over the evening and we don't know what time exactly joanna was murdered there is reports of screams being heard um, shortly after she arrived home but they're only mentioned once or twice it's never really confirmed by police or anything like that but yeah he does kind of have an alibi that seems to be very convenient but only for a tiny slice of time um but people that did know vincent thought he was a really good guy and um, like i said before he was clever he was quiet he was polite even christopher jeffries describes him as a polite well-spoken gentleman and christopher was a bit like shocked about vincent's arrest because he'd essentially lived with him for quite a while and thought he was a good guy yeah he was like well the police thought it was me and they were wrong Mm. so maybe they're wrong about vincent as well and yeah christopher wondered if he'd been wrongly arrested so at this time, police actually gain access to Vincent's computer and uncover a deep, violent obsession with pornography. So starting to look worse now. They actually find that on the night Joanna went missing, he'd been watching very hardcore porn. Not your usual stuff. <laughs> um, and this seemed like a regular occurrence for Vincent. He was deeply obsessed with um, very degrading porn he enjoyed watching strangulation and yeah like all the the worst things he loved it and he'd managed to keep this obsession hidden from those around him but that wasn't the only thing he was hiding so ever since joanna had been missing he'd been incessantly googling her name and he was also googling her name and the area in which her body was found long before she was found so 
here we're getting yeah, getting much. a lot of proof. Um, a small amount of Joanna's blood was also found inside his car. Only a small amount, but a small amount, along with um, like fibres that matched those of the top she was wearing. So we're gathering more evidence here. On February the 8th, 2011, Vincent Tabak admits to killing Joanna. So completely, this is a shock to everybody because he's like, nope, nope, I don't know anything. And then he's like, well, yeah, I did kill her. Um, but shockingly, he tries to argue that it was an accident and he goes for manslaughter rather than a murder charge. Vincent claims that on the night of the 17th, Joanna waved at him from his kitchen window and invited him in. And he'd, she, he said that she'd made some like flirty comments and he tried to kiss her. He says that when he tried to kiss her, she screamed and like rebuffed him and in a panic he strangled her but he says he didn't mean to it was manslaughter and this like denial of intent led to a quite a lengthy and complicated trial and obviously like this is something her parents had to sit through um but because of this the police um, and the prosecution got to bring forward all the computer searches all and that's how we know so much about sort of his internet history whereas if he'd pleaded guilty we probably would never know um, about that but the trial went ahead and after two and a half days of deliberation the jury found him guilty of murder and sentenced him to a 20 year minimum life sentence he had strangled Joanna in her flat before bundling her body into the boot of his car and dumping her by the side of the road. Obviously, he's still in prison now. There is never any evidence to show that his girlfriend, Tanya, knew anything about it. Um, from what I've read and heard, it sounds like it, it wasn't. But if you Google Joanna Yates, more pictures of Christopher Jeffries will come yeah. up than Vincent Tabak. And Christopher mm. Jeffries was undeniably a, another victim of Vincent Tabak. However, if Vincent Tabak hadn't gone out of his way to frame Christopher Jeffries, would the police have ever looked at him as seriously? It's a tough one, isn't it? There's um, a quote that I heard or read where um, somebody who was in the investigation was like, he was number eight on our list of suspects just because he lived with her. But as soon as he phoned in to give that tip, he jumped straight up the list because he was showing an interest. It might have taken much longer. Yeah, I feel like Christopher would always be ruled out in terms of the DNA, which should be enough but the damage would have already been done then yes like to his, to his sort of reputation yeah and, um you can imagine the impact it has on his life mm. um, he speaks in documentaries he speaks quite openly about the case and he is eloquent and sympathetic and comes off really well so such a shame and this sort of issue in case was mentioned during parliamentary debates and it was suggested that a bill should be passed that imposed a sentence of six months imprisonment to any journalist who names an uncharged suspect however this was thrown out it isn't isn't a thing it was debated in the house of commons in um the june of the following year by anne salbury a conservative mp 
and she was a former journalist herself and criminal lawyer and she was like pushing for this but she withdrew the proposal because the um, coalition government at the time mm. didn't want it so politically um, the sort of situation that was going on at the time impeded it happening but I think that that's a fair yeah I, I'd back that to be fair yeah I mean, quite often we are the type of people that want to know everything about the case. But when you really think about the impact it could have on somebody who is named but yeah, un- uncharged, suspect yeah. without the evidence, no it's evidence, not worth it. And it's something that no, you know, like, like you say, he's still talking about mm. it on documentaries, so it's still with him. Yeah, I think it will it? always be his face. In like I was saying, I spoke about it with my mom and she remembered his name but not the guy who did it yeah there you go really bad Um, bad. but yeah i think it's a very interesting case and i know a lot of people will have heard of it but i hope that there's oh the pizza oh please i was thinking where's the connection where's the pizza so um when vincent starts talking um and says sort of what happens like his version he says that after he put her body by the road he went home and had a pizza so he stole her fucking pizza as well well that seems to be the case so that's what he said when the police then say to him like you stole her pizza and had her pizza he's like oh it wasn't hers that i had i put hers in the bin and I had someone else's. Well, either way, he took that pizza out of the house and then ate a pizza that night. He stole a pizza. It's, it's clear to me. It's just like a weird it's, thing. Yeah. Whether he did, like, take her pizza, but then he said he put it in an outdoor bin. But why would you take yeah, it? Yeah, well, it doesn't like, make any sense. But yeah, that's the only it, thing where I left the pizza. In my head, he's having a little party, thinking, yeah, I just murdered somebody and now I'm going to eat her pizza also. Mm. That's why I left that in, so I could tell you that at the end. Oh, good, I like a little pizza connection. But horrible. Very um, horrible. Interesting how Christopher Jeffries looks now. Mm. From, you know, like, if you look at pictures of him now, he's had a haircut. Yeah, he's, he's smartened dyed his himself hair. up a lot. You know. But, like, he shouldn't have needed shouldn't to. Have had to do that. I but I find that quite interesting mm. that... Uh, Maybe it was just to get away from people recognising him yeah. in the street. Yeah. You know. I um I I love a miscarriage of just I don't at all. But um I find them interesting. Yeah. Or maybe. when um somebody is essentially fitted for a crime based on how they look, I find very interesting as well. And I'd like us to cover more cases that sort of tackle this issue yeah totally so um, that's it really for this case that's all I've got I hope that's okay for you I enjoyed that thank you very much as we go on into the new year we're happy to take suggestions I've actually had a suggestion via a friend of my husband's mum who has started listening to us she's in her 70s oh Um, what's her name I will find out her name so because I want to do an episode specifically based on her interests so she loves true crime but she 
also is really likes like unexplained possibly like supernaturally things not hugely my bag but um she's particularly interested in a case that happened around here where a guy went missing um for a while and then turned up dead Oh, okay. It sounds super interesting. So I made a note of who it was because she told her son, who told my husband, who told me that she wants us to do that. So I think for a um, like mini, could we do something with a bit of a like unexplained connection? Well, we always try and give our listeners. Yeah, what that's they what want. I was thinking. So, so that's yes. a very specific request I had for a very I specific find um, out this lovely lady's name and we will uh, dedicate said episode to Yeah, so I plan to do that in the new year. Have you got any sort of things you definitely want to cover in the new year? I have got one big case that I definitely want to cover um, and probably it's going to be not next week's the week after and that will be Ivan Malat. oh interesting yes cool. it's one of my uh, I, I'm very fond of that case which sounds weird but I find yeah. it thoroughly interesting so yeah I'm definitely going to be covering Ivan Malat soon fabulous well do let us know if you've got any suggestions please do um, that'd be cool and we shall see you next week we will indeed until then stay safe keep well bye bye